Hello everyone, it's Emily Braun, owner of the International Lifestyle Consulting and we are continuing with our real life stories uh, from the real people of the world and today I have pleasure to introduce to you Adi Cohen, nomadic architect originally from Israel. Just a little bit about her and why I'm so happy to see Adi today. Adi is dreamer, visionary, actually architect who designed not only amazing living projects uh, around the globe, but her unique way of living, working professionally while traveling, uh, is really inspiring many people uh, around her, including me. <laughs> She's the first architect uh, living the digital nomad lifestyle, and she's constantly working, helping to create new movement of architecture projects in different locations. Actually, Adi is founder of a new movement company, company which inspired this new type and school of architecture. And Adi, I took it from your website, but I know you will explain it better speaking uh, about your work, but I was really attracted to the short description you get about your new uh, movement style. The transformative power of space for architecture, it's super important. Your style is based on such a pillars, again, as transformative power of space, uh, site specifics, and here I understand uh, it's uh, using local materials and understanding actually local culture and tradition of construction in each uh, uh, this or other culture and integrating technology with nature. Mm -hmm. I know many people, you know, in media speaking about it. What I like about you, you're actually doing, you're implementing this vision. And you already uh, created such a project as a yoga retreat center in Lake Atitlan, Guatemala, which actually I visited in the past and I even see how it's integrated in landscape of this place. You're also author and creator of such project as um, fantastic for me, Earth House, uh, private home in Morocco, uh, orange luxury bar somewhere in Latin America, and you are behind the uh, Tiny Homes Community Project, which one of my personal passion, because I'm promoting co-living, uh, co-working places, and I'm uh, really trying to promote myself this project uh, as well. I am part of the uh, some project, uh, uh, real estate, co-living, co-working project in Mexico. But today we're speaking about you. And again, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here with you today. I know that you uh, you shared this story probably not uh, uh, once, but uh, uh, tell share with uh, our listeners short story about you and how you started this lifestyle, which actually inspired you to do something mm -hmm. new. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Of course, it's it never gets old because it is my personal story. So I did the whole, you know, living the adult life the way you should. I ticked all the boxes that was supposed to bring me happiness and fulfillment. I had a, a real job at the firm. 
But instead of feeling fulfilled, I just kept feeling like something is missing. And I questioned the way that we do architecture and I questioned uh, that lifestyle of actually living the same day over and over again, waking up to the same office. As a creative person, I need stimulation. I need to be in different places. It really inspires me and gives me a lot of creative fuel. And I always had that wish to travel to many countries and, and see what it's like to be in different places around the world. How does it feel like to be in a certain place? You know, just walk the streets and see, you know, there's this sense of place. And at some point I thought it's not going to happen to me. I had a very standard life and I was unhappy. And then a few things happened. Like me and my partner, we broke up. One of my uh, dear friends died out of cancer. And I just decided that I'm not going to wait any longer to live a life that I feel aligned with. And I'm going to sell all my belongings and get a one-way ticket to Japan because I always wanted to be there, to be somewhere that is radically different from where I grew up. And I just had that gut feeling that I want to go there. So I did that. Everyone around me thought I'm crazy, very worried. My father probably didn't sleep well (laughs) at night. And uh, I just went on this journey to the unknown where I met, after a while, I met people who needed my skills as an architect. And I started doing international projects, which was quite a surprise to me because at that point, I thought that I have to give up my identity and my passion for architecture because I didn't like the lifestyle. But what I was very surprised to discover is that I can do both. I can travel while being an architect. And what the the new movement, my studio, what we do nowadays, we help visionaries and change makers. And, you know, all of our clients, they're very well traveled. They're global citizens. They've been around. They've seen everything. And then they fall in love with a certain place and they want to start a project there. And then they're looking for someone who had this freedom, that mindset of a global citizen, but also who is very respectful towards the local heritage and culture because they fall in love with the place for a certain reason. We don't want to just copycat buildings and do more of the same. And personally, what I'm interested in in architecture is the way that the built environment affects us, right? What is human-centered design and how can we create places that make people feel at their best? How can we optimize creativity and well-being and just use architecture as a tool to, to help people thrive, to make our lives better. So this is my personal mission. So it, it's amazing story. And I can uh, confess and tell you again that you are one of these unsettled souls, actually adventure spirit, who really making life interesting. And you as a magnet, I believe, as it attract like-minded people. And I understand uh, how fearful probably you were uh, thinking about what I would do next, being specifically in a new place, amazing uh, Japanese culture. But I think this energy probably attracted to you the first and following customers and co-workers because I'm still interested to to learn how, how you found the team, uh, being the team, I believe, of architects and construction engineers. My first question, how are you working? How are you managing uh, such a team? 
Sure. So we have a core team at the new movement, the core team of architects that together we develop concept. So actually when you work, the entire studio is location independent. We don't have an actual physical place. And that allows me to hire based on talent and not based on location. I can go on, sometimes I go on, I call it Instagram hunts. I just go to different accounts that I find interesting or architects that I I like their work. And I'll just reach out and say, hey, how about you join my team? So we have the, the team that is the core team that works on concept development. But then in each location, we curate a team that is according to the project's needs. When each project is so different and each project is one of a kind, let's say now we're putting up a team for a project in Brazil. And we want someone who really understands the climate and the culture and the local materials. So I wouldn't bring an architect who is maybe from Portugal or from the UK to work on such a project in Brazil when it comes to understanding the local and analyzing the site and really understanding the region. So that's why we always put together a team that is specific to that project. And that gives us a lot of freedom in the way that we work. So it's always a collaboration between the concept team, that is the new movement and the local team who are the ones who are executing, uh, doing the licensing and uh, supervising and coordinating the construction on site. But the way we do things is that it's not only architecture. You know, sometimes people come and ask me, uh, do you also do interior design? I don't know where to draw the line between architecture and interior design because as a person who seeks experiences, I'm interested in anything that a person experiences when he walks through the door. You know, from the moment you touch the doorknob, what material are you touching? What, what kind of uh, associations it creates for you and what emotions it evokes? Because at the end of the day, this is what we remember. We remember how we feel in places. So when we create experiences, it's always, it's also the scale of the space and the materials you interact with, but it's also, you know, the cushions that you touch when you sit on the sofa or what you smell when you walk in the place. So we want to activate all the senses and that requires hyper-specialized teams. So this is exactly how we work. Does this answer your question? Yes, it's very interesting because actually I was thinking, I know kind of what kind of bureaucracy it might involve, you know, creating a home in this or other country and licensing. And I understand you cannot be licensed as an architect in each country. So you should uh, collaborate with local architect or construction engineer, correct, to do all the required uh, paperwork like zoning and um, all uh, other permission actually to to build and uh, implement. So now I understand the, the structure and uh, actually, the selection of the country of construction coming from the client, it's what client uh, decide or because like you're building, say, in Guatemala because you get requests from people or, you know, somebody from Guatemala, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we have people reaching out to us uh, through the website, through my own podcast sometimes, um, through mutual contacts. And sometimes it's just, you know, the first client I ever had we met in an elevator. That's a real story. <laughs> we had uh, the journey from the 26th floor to the ground floor. And that was enough to, to create uh, the first connection. I didn't even know what the elevator pitch was back then. 
but we were just talking about this land that he's going to buy. And I was like, oh, I'm an architect and we should get together and run some ideas. And I ended up designing a house for him, which was amazing. So you never know where you're going to meet your clients or where the next opportunity or project they're going to come from. That's why it's so magical. So I think it's coming from your personality because uh, in what you're doing, you probably uh, don't need uh, like traditional sales speech. You need to be yourself and and people feel it and they share with you uh, their passion and their ideas. And I understand it was in Japan because I've heard this story and Japanese not so open for strangers, I would say. I, I mean, it's part of their culture. And I, I just imagine somehow so quickly to be open to the person like you in elevator, it's a sign of uh, real chemistry, yes? Or... Well, they weren't Japanese, my clients in Japan. They were from New Zealand. They just bought a hotel there. Okay, okay, okay. But I also had Japanese clients. Okay, interesting. So people now probably uh, find you through the um, common connections, yes? Uh, Of course, yeah. I, I, I didn't find that you kind of, you know, heavily promoting yourself as an architect. Yes, I'm happy that you, uh, it's again, like-minded people navigate to each other through the common connection. Of course, and you want to have common grounds with your clients. I wouldn't want to have a client that Googled architect and found me. When when you connect in through your ecosystem, it means you're interested in similar things. It means you have similar ideas of the world. And therefore, it's more likely that your common work together will be successful. I understand that... um, Personal values um, are very important to you. I'm just wondering if your main life values a little bit changed over the years of remote work and travel. And if yes, how? Yeah, I think at the beginning, it was very important to me to be completely independent, you know, to be completely on my own, to go to rural places and to immerse myself in different Um, cultures and with time you just become lonely because uh, let's say you meet people you meet other travelers or maybe tourists and I I like to call myself a slow man that means I like to stay at least one month in a place I like to get to know the people and the culture and my neighbors and go to the same cafe every day and just create relationships and when you travel fast you don't get to do that but Also, if you travel slow in a place where there aren't so many location independent workers, you end up being quite alone with, you know, facing the challenges of, you know, business ownership and just having friends and social connections. Uh, So after a while, I shifted my focus a bit. So now I structure my year in a way, well, in normal years when we don't have pandemics, I structure my, my year in a way that allows me to go on adventures and explore new places that I've never been to but also go to places where I already know how things work, where to live, where to eat, that I already have friends and community. Uh, So having human connections all of a sudden became a priority for me. And actually even one month might be not enough to establish human connection and actually to have feeling of the place, of of the culture, because uh, your project is uh, kind of... Uh, should be built as part of this texture, yes, fabric of this uh, surrounding. Absolutely. In- that's the that's the minimum, yeah. So you have uh, freedom, or you got it uh, before COVID, to, to live everywhere. In how many countries you lived since, uh, lived and worked? 
since you started your uh, nomadic uh, lifestyle? Honestly, I don't keep count. <laughs> I know that some places, have, some people have this list of, oh, I've been to 100 countries. I, I don't know. I don't keep the list. And my question was not about the list. It's actually coming to my next uh, one. Uh, like what countries and places you prefer more because they inspired you to create something new, you know, uh, innovative, uh, which actually became, you know, signature of your architectural work. Um, so I have to start with Japan again, because it's such a, such a playground for architects. The way that they do things is remarkable. And Portugal also have a very special place in my heart. Uh, Morocco, I have to go back to Morocco. Italy, I love. And of course, uh, well, Central America, Guatemala and uh, Costa Rica is also very special. So as you can see, I'm in a identity crisis where I have too many places that I call home. <laughs> No, I think it, 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 it's not a crisis. It's versatility of your personality and actually it's beauty of your work. And I believe you. Uh, you actually use the experience from previous project or, you know, your adventure to, to show something new, to, to get some new features uh, or maybe new for us, people who don't live in this place, to show in new perspective and light. Uh, your your project and I, I believe are you working only for residential architectural project or is there some commercial as they say yeah so we work a lot in the area of hospitality since we really like to create guest experiences but we also do private residence it basically do everything that is one of a kind and interesting. We could do a small scale project of placemaking, or it could be something at big, bigger scale like eco lodges or different like yoga retreat centers and things like this. It is true what you just said about inspiration. It feels like uh, recently a friend called me a human Pinterest because I always have like different ideas of places I've been to and it's just all stored, I guess, in my subconscious. And whenever I'm going to design a new project, I always have this different building blocks that I keep in my archive and I can use and adjust according to the project. So that's always very interesting as a process to do. So uh, I understand that every project is kind of one of the kind, yes? Correct. Uh, you, you can reuse some of the, um, I don't know, features, as you say, building blocks. Uh, say in, in Latin America, it's more and less might be close um, local materials and environment. So you can uh, reuse whatever you created, say, in Guatemala to the a similar concept of co-living uh, in uh, Mexico, um, Belize, which is uh, nearby, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really like to reuse. I feel that each project is unique and each location is unique and always, you know, like the sun path and the wind and the, the altitude could be completely different within the same country. You can have different climates. So it's always important to start with a study to really understand the site and then really understand what it is that we want to create and then find the harmony between the idea and the actual place. And how is it all going to, to tell one complete story that, that you can just feel when you walk in the door. I see very um, interesting uh, picture for me on your background. Can you tell 
a little bit what is a place, what is about. I believe it's just residential home or maybe it's co-living. Yeah, so this is a, a yoga retreat center that we design in, in Guatemala, in uh, Lake Atitlan. It has, uh, it's for yoga teacher training, but it also has the capacity to have people staying short-term, long-term, to host gatherings and uh, community events, and also an area for Ayurvedic treatments. Um, this is like the Indian medicine of, uh, of the body. And yeah, it's like a pool and a sound temple. It's, it's a really cool project. Uh, Atitlan Lake is absolutely gorgeous. It's overlooking volcanoes and it had this really incredible vibe. And, you know, I, I'd like to tell a story about that place. So in the Mayan tradition, the way that you start, how do you break grounds, let's say, like we do nowadays in a new project according to the Mayan tradition. So there's a ceremony that you, you do with a shaman to bless the land and actually ask permission to build a project before you even start designing anything. You gather the people around and you put a fire and you put some offerings on the land. And it was just so beautiful to participate in something like this. I felt so grateful to be able to see how, you know, mindfully and respectfully other people are treating the land before we even start. And I think this is probably how every project should start with a blessing instead of just, you know, putting a, <laughs> the first foundation, which is cool, but it's a bit less spiritual, especially for a yoga center. Do you have connection with the places? Are you coming back and visiting the projects you already built to, to have a vibe after a couple of years, you know, what's going on? And maybe, uh, you know, when people are starting to, to live or to use this place, they need to change a little bit to maybe, you know, extend. Yes, of course. Of course. It's always important to revisit. We do that in so many fields when you think about it. Imagine you're building a website and you see how people are using it and you're optimizing it. And in architecture, we don't do that so much. And I think that's definitely something we should be doing more to study how people are using the space. What, how, what can we improve? What can we do better? And just make it, yeah. Just put the ego aside and, and try to, to create better places for human beings to, to live in, to work in. In your personal, actually, professional experience, in what countries, you know, it's easy to create something new, to get required permission from, you know, municipality, from local government, and actually implement your architectural ideas without red tape. What countries, uh, I can guess, I think from what I know about latest development, I think uh, about Madeira or Azores in uh, Portugal, but from your personal and professional experience, what countries are now really looking forward on creating and helping visionaries like you to create such a project and communities? Well, I think it really depends on the municipality where you're building. Of course, in some rural areas, the only rule that you have is don't block your neighbor's view, and that's enough. And in some places where it's more regulated, like in Europe, let's say in Israel, it really depends if the project that you're creating is going to bring value to the place. A lot of the projects that we do have social impact. And that's something that's a really great selling point. So you can, let's say you want to start a project. You can go to different, let's say you're considering different properties around Portugal. 
you can actually go to the city halls and present the project and say, hey, I'm, I want, I'm looking to build this. Why should I do it in your region? How can you help me bring this kind of innovative thinking and create something that has a positive impact in your area? And then let's think together, how can we make it work? So then you have kind of leverage. And also if the city hall is interested in the project, especially rural projects, since there are so many abandoned villages around Europe and Portugal, especially, if you're going to bring people to a region that is more rural and they have the population is just getting um, smaller and smaller each year, then they have an interest to help you develop it. And therefore everything is going to be easier when you do that. So it's always, you know, again, we're going back to communication, to collaboration. These are the key. Yes, but with all this, there is some protest. So now I understand that you have uh, more chances to succeed, say, in rural areas of uh, Spain, Portugal, uh, Italy, or Latin America, where it's really, there is interest to to build something rather than in so-called developed uh, areas or urban areas where the land is very expensive and uh, there is more red tape to, to build something. Correct? True. Correct. Yeah. I know that you passionate as well as me in uh, creating co-living, co-working uh, places. And I fully understand that uh, for these places to be successful, uh, the first step is create this environment, spacious, you know, place. But um, it's even more important to find like-minded people to create um, members of, uh, of community who would really support each other and actually compatibility it's very important factor so how co-living spaces managing this issue i would say they have some eligibility requirements or kind of you know uh, manifesto or they somehow testing people how it works in real life well big part of co-living is operations and having a community manager or really understand so on my podcast, there is a really interesting episode, uh, the one with uh, Jean-Yves, and we're talking actually about co-working, but I think it could also apply to co-living when you think about it. So he says, don't try to accommodate everyone. You know, when, the, when someone asks you, who is your target audience? Don't say everyone, because then it's, it's very not specific, right? So if you go to a restaurant and they know how to cook, uh, pizza, hamburger, sushi, uh, noodles, and uh, sweets. You think they're not going to be good at any of them, probably, because they don't have a speciality. So when you have your niche and when you can when you can kind of tailor made the experience to a certain kind of people who really appreciate what you do for them, this is when you start to create a community. And I can also recommend there is a great uh, nonprofit called CoLive. It's the global organizations of co-living and they have their magazine and they are hosting different webinars and conferences that we just had a conference, uh, I think a month ago, uh, that was really interesting. So the key is learn from others. The co-living community is very open and very collaborative. It really depends on what you want to do and how to create a community. It's such a big question. I don't think even if we'll have uh, three more hours, I don't think I'll be able to answer that. But I can direct people to the right mindset of, you know, don't try to accommodate everyone. And then when you know exactly what you want to do, also keep your mind open and see what people actually want. Sometimes we don't need to have a full schedule. 
Actually, most of the time, people don't want to have a full schedule when they go somewhere. They want to have some choice of opportunities to connect with others, but they also want to have their own time to work, to, to wind down after a long day. Yeah, I think that's pretty much So it. these communities are geared towards some uh, time of living, say several months, or it's place to live, say, full time and rent maybe? There are so many. There are so many. Some co-living projects have a minimum of three months, others have six months, others have one week, depending on where, uh, what experience do you want to create. I think when you want, when you know what, what you want to create, then it's becoming more clear how to create that. Like, what is the minimum amount of time we need in order for people to connect? No, but one week for me, it's hotel. And I know successful hotels who are working, like co-living, who are working mm -hmm. with this model. In my mind, and towards you know, the changes we have uh, lately in the world and would be for the next years, more and more people would be actually nomadic, uh, living for long time, maybe several months, maybe up to a year uh, yeah. in, in certain place. So I believe it would be some marketplace of this uh, different, there are already uh, attempts to create it. And uh, people would select based on their interest, as you say, community manager um, actually uh, keep probably expectation on a certain level and uh, probably filter out somehow people who would be compatible working and living with each other because um, and and tell me please uh, it's mostly for uh, like single people for professionals because I don't know if this uh, like a living place it's not for couples or family with really. Honestly, nowadays we have so many. So we have co-living for nomads, for couples. They're co-living uh, being developed for families who are traveling and working remotely nowadays. They're multi-generational co-livings when you have different ages com combined together. And now I know there are also some projects working for co-living for the elderly. So basically it's a human need, right? You want to, we are willing to have smaller apartments in order to have communal spaces and connect with each other it's not about going to work come back home watch tv fall asleep and do that on repeat again and again we want to know our neighbors we want to form real relationships and i think that applies to all ages um they're co-living for students they're co-living for singles over 40 there's so many it's it's and it it still feels like the beginning i think we're going to see much more of that coming in the future yes i just recently visited in uh in lake chapala in mexico several uh co-living uh, uh communities i cannot say it's working because it's uh for senior people who uh, might be just a little bit working but it's more co-living they united by ideas of you know meditation places uh, zen um, movement yes and i believe it will be developing movement because uh it's what I'm promoting as well, because I understand what kind of financial and other um, hardship people uh, have in so-called developed countries. Even to, to keep their place, uh, like big houses, uh, you know, uh, running with all cost of living. I know that you're working on tiny home project in Israel, which is personally very interesting for me as well. And can you tell a little bit more about this project in what location it's going to be and what kind of people uh, it would attract? 
Sure. So uh, this project, there is one at the moment that I'm just building for someone. So there is the commercial tiny house project that is already being developed for a different location, but I cannot tell more about it at the moment, unfortunately. But I, I can tell you about that, that one custom-made tiny house that I designed for a single dad and his son and their dog. And this is actually a tiny house on wheels, so it doesn't have a permanent location. So we developed different solutions to be able to, um, so we analyzed the way that they're using the space and found some multifunctional solutions. And according to the way that you're living, let's say what two actions you never do at the same time. And then we'll try to um, create a furniture that can be both of them because you'll never have to use them at the same time. So it's really about optimizing the, the sense of, of place of how do you use the space and how the space is going to interact with its surrounding, but also how is it possible to live in such a tiny place for two people and a dog and, and do that in a way that creates harmony. So it's kind of RV but the custom design. Yeah, I can say that, absolutely. It's um, yeah, living on wheels. <laughs> but uh, with RV, you, you move around quite a lot. And with yeah. tiny houses, you don't do that so often. Usually it's it's more complicated to move. It's more it's heavier. You need a, a truck to tow it. Um, yeah, so you don't move as much. I'm personally interested, uh, uh, really, because I was thinking about uh, maybe moving uh, to Israel, but I know about cost of property in Israel, and I uh, know about, you know, some uh, other, like, climate uh, specifics. Uh, that's why my question was a little bit private, but I understand. I so how people can find about you and your project? Can you please? Um... Sure, sure. So the best way to connect with me is through the website. Where if you type the new movement or the new mvt.com, that's our website. And uh, there you can also find links to our LinkedIn and um, Instagram and Facebook page. And this is all uh, where it is. And if you're interested to know more about the podcast, it's called Go Out and Talk to Strangers, which is one of my life philosophies <laughs> and how I started this journey. And that's available also on the website, but also all the major um, podcasting apps like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and so on. Thank you very much. I can tell you that we share, I share the same passion as you. I like to travel because only when I'm traveling, I feel that I'm living fulfilled life. Some, and I like to speak to strangers. I think maybe it's one of the reasons <laughs> we found each other. And somehow I'm, I found more interesting people to speak with when I'm traveling in Latin America. In, mm. it's, it's not so common, say, in Canada and United States to speak with strangers, even I'm trying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I, I found that I get easy connections in other countries, even I'm not speaking Spanish or Portuguese. It just happened with me uh, this way. And um, I'm really happy to, to have this opportunity speaking with you. And I really wish you the whole success. Mm.